I'm actually afraid of the Emerald Pool because I got traumatized there. Oh, yeah? What happened? Uh, oh, well, I <laughs> the first time I hiked the Bald Face Loop, I went down there to get some water because I always like to start with like no water. And if I know there's a water source, I'll go down there and mm-hmm. you know filter my water. So I get down there and it was like mid midweek. I think I might've been on vacation or something and the, the kids stayed back at the camp and were swimming. So I had the, the day to myself, but uh, I walked into Emerald Pool and there was two two people there and they weren't, they weren't wearing, they were enjoying nature. There was no clothes. That's funny you say that because I didn't mention it, but the first two times I did the hike, I ran into nude hikers. Really? It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was in my 20s at the time, and um, I'm, I'm coming up the trail towards North Baldface, um, about a quarter mile from the summit, and I see this nude hiker making his way down the trail. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I immediately, I, I'm just a young kid. I was freaked out. I'm like, what if this dude's like some psycho or whatever? So I just, yeah, I yeah, dove yeah. off the trail, hid in the scrub, and let this nude hiker pass. Okay, so that's the first one. Yeah. On this, this is the very same hike. So I get to the summit of North, make my way over to South Baldface. There's a nude hiker sitting on the top of South Baldface, just sitting there with his legs crossed, just enjoying the I weather. I get it. Okay. Isn't that wild? That I don't know. Weird, but the, I mean, this case, what I ran into was just. I mean, I think they were just swimming and hanging out, and you know, they had their tops off, and I think I just sort of stumbled on to. Mm. Then, but I, I just like kind of turned around at a 180 and said I'll find water <laughs> later on. But I screwed myself because I then I went up towards the the shelter and I was like I'll find water at the shelter, which is about a mile and a half up. There was no water, so I had to hike back down. Mm. And I finally found a water source that was like a muddy puddle that was like lukewarm that I filtered through, and I that's what I drank for the whole the whole loop, which which kind of sucked. But mm. anyway, naked people. If you want to see naked people, the bald face <laughs> loop is probably the good option for you. Yeah. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker's studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, welcome to episode six of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. So, what do you think of the new intro, Mike? That guy's got like the best voice ever. Does he do like movie, movie intros and stuff? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a professional voiceover actor that I've known for probably 10, 15 years. He's incredible. Is he like? Oh, he yeah. must be like six foot five or something like ridiculous, right? Uh, he's probably in the five. Yeah, but he's uh, if you do some research for him, his name is Paul Bisson, B-I-S-S-O-N. Yeah. And uh, his website's a riot because there's some of his earlier work on there. He actually did the um, the Pull Up Man pull-ups you know kids don't want you know the whole thing he's got that whole voice going on so uh yeah it was great uh that he agreed to do the podcast he generally doesn't do podcasts i guess yeah yeah well so for the audience's sake just so you know um so the this is episode six so we're actually just getting to the point where we're ready to release this this dumb podcast so hopefully we'll get more than like (laughs) five or six listeners but we just decided to sort of get it a little bit more professional we got some some cool drops that we're going to be adding in and then um You'll see a transition. So we talk about the show as like the sounds like a search and rescue podcast, but we'll be using a an acronym, which is SLASHER, which is S-L-A-S-R. So SLASHER for sounds like a search and rescue, right? That's how it's spelled. Yeah, but it sounds like SLASHER. That's the only word you can really pull out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so we'll be referencing the podcast as the SLASHER podcast occasionally. So Yeah, so maybe we should talk about SLASHER movies occasionally, like every Halloween. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I've seen a SLASHER movie in probably... I think the last one was uh, what, what are they, like Scream or something came out. That's probably like 20 years now. So I'm showing my oh, age. Oh, no. Yeah, Saw. Saw's another one. Yeah, yeah. I think they're probably still making those. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Th- As a matter Good of fact, stuff. I think uh, <laughs> we got a year. I mean, I don't know how long we've had Netflix now, but I think we, I got Netflix, and like one of the first movies that I I watched was The Human Centipede, and after that, I was like, I am done with horror movies for infinity. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, but I don't know how Uh, we got onto the human centipede in a hiking podcast, but. Yeah, 
well, let's move on, I guess, shall we? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> Focus. Yeah, exactly. So this week, uh, we're going to continue our intro to New Hampshire hiking series with a discussion about what we're calling epic hikes in the White Mountains. So if you're ready to get out there and knock off some uh, iconic hiking routes and uh, maybe get some experience in overnight backpacking, uh, we're going to cover some of the more popular hiking routes in the White Mountains. Later in the show, we will also give a breakdown on recent search and rescue events in the White. So a lot going on, so we will get to all of it. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. So what is Mike drinking tonight? All right, so we're doing the traditional beer discussion. So I think uh, last episode, or maybe, I don't know what, what episode, I can't keep track at this point, but um, I have a, a beer, it's an IPA from Beer Wolf Brewing Company, which is a local brewery in the town that I live in. And I think last week I had Similar, a didn't you? beer called, yeah, it was called Creative Differences. This one is called Tasteful Nudes, and it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's got like a bunch of naked people on it, so... I probably, I'll have to make sure that this is at the back of the refrigerator when my kids open it up. Mm. So what do you, what do you got? Got the uh, classic, a long trail, long trail ale, Vermont's original ale from the people's Republic of Vermont. I have a, I have a long trail story. Oh, do you? Is it a good one or a bad one? Uh, I, it's one I, I probably can't remember that well, but uh, long, long trail ale. So. I mean, I, I went to college in North Adams, so um, <laughs> we would mostly drink just Bush Light, right? But yeah. Long Trail Air was like one of the original, like even before Sam Adams or any of these, like, you know how you go to the, the liquor store now and it's like you got to pick through a million different like amazing. breweries and things like that. Long Trail was like brewing beer back in the 80s and 90s, I think. So um, when we would go to the... Uh, we would call it the Packy back then, but the liquor store, <laughs> the Packy with Adams, like they would actually, they would have Long Trail Ale, so that would be like our big, um, you know, kind of fancy, fancy beer back in the day. It goes back that far, huh? Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember being in North Adams in the early nineties, amazing, and having Long Trail Ale, but and it was in a, like a fancy green bottle, and I remember yeah. a lot of my fraternity brothers would like go up to the brewery and do do tours and stuff, mm. so it was like a whole big thing. So they were the Trail Blazers of the beer. The craft beer industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd have to look it up, but they've been around forever. So they, yeah, they were like the original craft brewers that I was aware of. So, so good hmm. for you. You're you're very uh, um, nostalgic there. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be good for healing bones. <laughs> so, um, any recent hikes? Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually did get out to Musalaki with a friend of mine, my my buddy Jonathan, who. Taught me everything I know about winter hiking. So we got up to uh, Musalaki via, I'm trying to remember which way we went. Gorge. So we went up the, we started at Gorge Brook and then we cut over to the Carriage Road Trail, hit South Peak, and then came over uh, to the main peak and then down Gorge Brook. So I think this is my, was our my fourth hike on Musalaki. And I think I've got every trail in Musalaki covered with the exception of I think it's called like the hurricane trail which i'll probably never do because it's, oh, like, yeah. a, it's a, like a lower connecting trail from glen cliff over to carriage road or something yeah it's adjacent to the the actual river baker river yeah yeah it was crazy it was like um t-shirt weather on the peak like there was no wind i was trying and obviously like the week before we talked about this but there was obviously an unfortunate death up there a couple of weeks ago so i was kind of envisioning mm. what it would be like with you know we had I could see out to the presidentials, it was clear blue day. Right. And we were in t-shirts, but like, it's just crazy to think a week before it was like whiteout conditions and, and, you know, blizzard and, you know, that happening. So Did you um, pass where he would have gone into that Gorge Brook? You know, it makes sense to me. Like if I was in that situation where I didn't have any ability to figure out where to enter, mm-hmm. like it would make sense to me that he would... If he was on the peak and he was trying to find his way, like obviously you're going to go to the lowest point, mm-hmm. and you can totally see how like it go. You know, there's a, there's a snowfield that people were skiing there, and it would make sense that he would go right into that gorge brook, which is way to the the right of where the actual trail is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I could imagine that's probably where he went. And the problem is, is that that trail doesn't connect back to the the drainage until down a 
a long distance. So it's not mm-hmm. like you, if you, once you go down there, like there's no easy way to get back out to a trail and he probably just got stuck in like waist deep snow. And then, you know, it's just tough to move. Mm-hmm. What about you? No, no hiking for you, Mr. <laughs> uh, Mr. New Hip, right? I had uh, just for the listeners, I had a hip replacement on March 22nd. It's been two weeks now. And um, yeah, uh, hiking's been put on the back burner for now. But today, two weeks out, I actually took a walk. It was maybe about half a mile where I uh, went down to this sledding hill and I I was like making sure my wife or my mom wasn't around watching me or anything like that. And they weren't. They're yeah, not yeah, even yeah. In, in the state at the moment. So that's great. So, but I had a check anyway. <laughs> well, you, did you have to use a walker? I would pay to get a picture of that. <laughs> I did. I hiked up this sledding hill. I was probably 300 feet with yeah. the crutch. And I'm still partial. Oh, I, I'm full weight-bearing, but I can't put more than maybe 75% into the leg. It just doesn't feel stable yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But damn it, I did my first ascent. <laughs> All right, well, well, good for you. But So you, you're using crutches. You don't have a walker with, like, the tennis balls on the ball? No. I had two crutches <laughs> and then uh, weaned down to a crutch. And I'm thinking I'll be okay. back to work by uh, maybe another week or two. So, But, yeah, yeah what's coming along. What's the uh, the prognosis for getting back to actually hiking? Because I'm sure we've got, you know, we'll probably get some older listeners that are going to be getting hip and knee replacements, so they'll want to know timeline to get back at it. I've been thinking about that a lot, and I've been talking to the officers on the team. And um, my hope is to, at the very least, be able to assist with basic carrying of the litter and, you know, taking people's packs and this and that. I can obviously stage at the bottom um, when there's a mission, but um, I'm hoping that I will be able to get back to carrying, you know, a decent weight. According to the doctor, I can. So, you know, I'm, I'm tr- probably talking another three, four, or five months before I can even think about that, though. Well, hopefully by the 4th of July, we'll, everyone will be vaccinated and we'll be back to normal, and then you'll be able to do some, some basic hikes. Mm, yeah. Fingers crossed. Very good, very good. So I don't want to um, have to change your name from Stomp to clipboard or limp stomp yeah, to exactly. limp <laughs> exactly so, actually yeah, we should probably this is a good time to like uh, we haven't even explained this to the audience but um and i actually don't even know like i would you say stomp is a hiking name or is that s- something else that actually connects back to the the voiceover and the audio side of things okay i had a studio back in salem massachusetts back in the 90s into the 2000s and uh, it was a recording studio so i've always dabbled with audio production and stuff like that and that was the name of the studio was stomp machine uh, Got it. don't let anybody know stomp machine oh yeah yeah, yeah. but we're, uh we're, we're keeping your identity a secret but, okay so that's not a hiking <laughs> input so for the audience's reference like we're going to have guests on and things like that and from a cultural perspective it's very common for people to take on a hiking name, especially if you've done like a through hike. Like nobody on the like the AT or the PCT, they all take like trail names. Nobody goes by their like normal name, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I've never done one, but that's my understanding. So when we have people on, like sometimes we'll reference them just by their trail name. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you have a trail name? I don't. Yeah. Okay. I haven't done, I haven't done a. Uh, I haven't done a through hike, so I guess I don't have a trail name. But I guess you, I know people that haven't done them and they get trail names, but I just haven't. I, I don't hike with enough people. Like I have a small group of friends I hike with, and we all yeah. just go by our normal names. So. Well, you know, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Olson, yeah. one of our buddies, he gave me yeah. the name Costco because I always drag around that 115 liter Lowe's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's bulk packing, you know? It's so <laughs> yeah. funny. I've got everything in there. So he calls me Costco. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. well i guess maybe that'll be my mission is i'll have to pick up a trail name somehow but um all right so we want to uh so anyway i hope that your hip feels better um the good the other thing about this whole hip thing is that it has inspired stomp to do a little bit of research on a fun case that we're going to cover and we're probably going to do a whole standalone episode on it about a gentleman who um got himself in trouble on franconia ridge i know you've heard this story before but um, this is an interesting one. I think it happened probably like 10 years ago mm. because it involves him basically suing the state of New Hampshire because he didn't want to pay the bill for the rescue that he caused. So I, I won't give away too many details, but yeah. um, Stomp has been furiously researching the case and is going to break it down for us in a future episode. Yeah, I mean, I'll just touch upon it briefly. For people that want to get a jump start on it, 
The individual's name was Edward Bacon. And the reason why this case is so fascinating, it was a case of first impression at the Supreme Court in New Hampshire. There have really been no uh, cases that have gone to trial. There's this really fascinating process that they go through when they determine how to bill and if they should bill administrative steps and this and that. So between the administrative side of it and the actual on-trail accounts that I'm digging up about this story now, um, it's it's going to be a really fascinating dive. So keep a lookout. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to get that one in the queue. But it's you know I think with your whole hip situation, it was like inspiring you to to do that research. So we'll that's a big connecting point because the guy had a dislocating hip, and that was one of the precipitating factors that prompted the whole rescue. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Good stuff. All right. So uh, yeah, we're excited. You know, big changes to the podcast this week with the audio drops, and you know we are getting ready. Like I said. We're going to be releasing the first, I think, two episodes coming up. Uh, we're in like the first week in April, so we should be doing it pretty soon. So I'm sure that mm-hmm. you know, the 10 of you people that are going to be listening to this will be very excited. <laughs> well, uh, eight yeah. minus yeah, the eight. two of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I have my family. So actually, I, I, gotta, I can pull about eight people from my family and then however many you can get. Um, so, uh, All right. You want to get into our first topic here? Sure. So we're going to continue our intro to New Hampshire hiking. Uh, This week, we're going to review some of the more common long routes throughout the White Mountains, or as we call them, epic traverses. Yeah, epic traverses or epic hikes. I think um, some of these can be done in loops. So we'll call out the ones that are traverses and we'll call out the ones that are just sort of loop hikes. But this topic is really about bucket list kind of hikes. So We've talked about the the key lists, the the basics of hiking in the whites and some of the gamifications that we do. So none of these are like, you're not going to get a patch for doing any of these, but these are just common. Like if you're talking to people that have been hiking for a while, these are, you know, the five or so most common sort of longer trails that you will be hiking. So we, we picked out five of them and then Stomp, I'm going to ask you to just sort of spontaneously do a bonus hike at the end of this. But um, we're just going to go through these one at a time give an overview, and then talk a little bit about our own experiences. But these epic hikes are ones that you can, some of them you can do in a single day. Some of them are better done on an overnight. And usually what you'll see is like people will get like halfway through a list or they'll get you know more experience and they want to try to get into overnight hiking or what we call backpacking. And they'll pick one of these hikes to sort of get some experience on. So mm-hmm. I think the, the first one that we're going to talk about is the the Presidential Traverse. So Stomp, do you want to break down what that is? The world famous Presidentials. This is a massive 23 mile long hike, which, you know, whether you're going from the south or from the north, you're basically covering Mount Adams, Madison, Jefferson, Mount Washington, Monroe, Eisenhower, and Pierce. Um, it's absolutely an amazing uh, traverse, basically above treeline because of the height of these mountains. I mean, you're talking 5,000 to 6,000 foot or so. I have not done this. I have done a half traverse. You know, I've done the south once, but I've done the northern portion of this multiple times for whatever reason. I think it was basically because I couldn't get a uh, car spot set up. Yeah. yeah. Have well, you done this? Com- I, I haven't. No, nah, I haven't done a presidential traverse. I've done. I've done all kinds of crazy hikes in the presidentials, and with the because I've been focused on the terrifying twenty-five. A lot of times, what I end up doing is dropping into the Great Gulf, which adds a lot of distance and elevation. So mm-hmm. I just haven't done a presidential traverse yet but um you know it's a very common hike like a lot of people will do that as a sort of a a one-day hike goal for the summer and uh, you know it's it's unbelievable views the whole time like you you'll be above treeline i don't know how many miles you'll be above treeline but Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of distance there yeah and what's interesting you have to get each peak you can't just go around each peak so to do a presidential traverse you're hitting the tops of those primary mountains there are a bunch of sub-peaks along the way, Mount Sam Adams, um, Mount J.Q. Adams, and a few others, and I do not believe that those are required. Yeah, and I think it's pretty loose, although I will say that there was a recent, you know, we talked about in episode three, like the the, the fastest known time, um, and this was a little bit of a controversy on that, that episode, but there was a, a guy that recently just broke the fastest known time 
for a presidential traverse. And I think there's definitely some rules, like if you go to the fastest known time uh, website and look up presidential traverse, you'll see, like, I think this guy did it in like three hours and 45 minutes or something crazy. And apparently, mm. like, in the winter, he could move a little bit more quickly because he's not jumping over rocks. He's just flying up the, the, the snowpack trail. Oh, yeah, much quicker. Much yeah. more dangerous, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And from my view, like, directionally, it's it's logistically a challenge because you got to have a car spot. But directionally, it seems like most people, at least from an FK or for a fastest known time perspective, but it seems like a lot of people do choose to start in the uh, the northern terminus and go mm-hmm. up and, and start with Madison and then go over to Adams and, and come over to Jefferson and then Washington and Monroe and, and finish up with Eisenhower and Pierce. But you can go in either direction. Which is basically Route 2, right? Yeah, yeah. You start at Route 2 and then finish up at the, what is that, um, Crawford Notch. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Another point, I mean, during the summer months, there's some shelter. You have the hut system. You have Madison Hut. You have do-do-do-do-do. What's the name of that hut? Lake of the Clouds. Well, you have um, the Randolph Mountain Club huts, which is Gray Knob and Crag, which are on Mount Adams. They Mm -hmm. also have the Perch. So there's a lot of camping options, but the problem with trying to do the, you know, the huts are good if you can, if you can grab something at um, Lake of the Clouds, that's that's helpful. But it is it is tough because a lot of the camping options are in close proximity to one end or the other. So a lot of people yeah. tend to do the presidential traverse. Gotcha. In a, um, a single day. Now, how about the second one that made the list? The second one that made the list is the Pemi Loop, which mm. is um, an iconic hike. That is, what was it, 31 or 33 miles? 31. Most places say 31 mile loop. Yeah. So the Pemi Loop is um, a 31 mile hike that covers, I think it's like nine peaks um, that are 4,000 footers. And uh, this is a very common hike for people to do over two or three nights, but there's plenty of ultra runners as well that try to do this in a single day. And mm-hmm. um, Stomp, you've you've done you've actually done this one on a single day, and I joined you for the majority of this one. But yeah, yeah, I've done it. Um, I had to do it both directions. I mean, it just makes sense. I had to find out if there was a difference because you can either do this counterclockwise or clockwise, and it will bring you back to your starting point pretty easily. Psychologically, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. <laughs> uh, either direction, either direction. And the Pemi Loop, basically, it, it strings together um, Franconia Ridge. So you, you, most people who start it will start in what they call Lincoln Woods. And uh, the Pemi Loop strings together the extended Franconia Ridge with Liberty and Flume and and Lincoln and Lafayette, and then it, it circles around to Mount Garfield, mm-hmm. and then down into Zealand, and then across to South Twin, and then the Bonds, and then out in the uh, the and back to the Lincoln Woods. So it's a lot of elevation. Yeah, nine thousand feet. Yeah, yeah, roughly. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, many people do this over the summer, and they they'll they'll do it in over a couple of days because there is plenty of camping along the way for. For people, so you've only done it once. I actually haven't done it. I did it with. Uh, so for the audience's sake, uh, I'm mixing up memories here. Yeah, yeah. So I I joined you and our friend Alvaro on Fourth of July a couple of years ago. We started at like 3 a.m. and we hiked. We did it counterclockwise. So we did the Lincoln Woods to Bond Cliff for sunset or sunrise. And you jumped out on Franconia, right? Franconia Ridge. I, I bailed down Falling Waters because you guys were just going too slow <laughs> and I had to get home for fireworks. <laughs> so I had like a hard stop and we just didn't, you know, and it wasn't that you guys were slow. It was just we were, it was such an amazing day that we were just taking our time. You you um, missed the best part of the hike. <laughs> well, I think didn't, didn't you and Alvaro have like a a, a vision quest oh, or something? You pass out going was, down Austin? I mean, after you left, we sat there on... Um, Mount Flume and just sort of gazed at the view for a while and then it had to be the longest experience ever trying to get out of there it just seemed like it was never going to end coming down the Osseo Trail and then walking the last several miles out on Lincoln Woods Road it was just hilarious but this is the trip with the uh, bear spray is this where we want to talk about this oh yeah 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 so all right Uh, that's right I will so we talked about the uh, that Stomp had an issue with bear spray previously so we (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know what the hell he was thinking, but we started at three in the morning. So we had like glow sticks and stuff that we had to attach to our pack so that we had some light. 
so we could see each other. <laughs> um, but Stomp apparently was like afraid of beers and brought like uh, beer spray with him. And we got into Lincoln Woods and sometime around Lincoln Woods, I don't know when, but it became very apparent that Stomp blasted himself with beer spray. <laughs> yeah, it was like a mile in. Yeah, the, the yeah. safety lever on the little spray can had flipped. So basically, the, the pressure of my pack buckle pressed down on this canister and released half the can onto my pants. So my entire <laughs> left thigh was soaked in bear spray. So I spent the entire day in misery. I mean, it was actually a blessing because I was focusing on the burning left leg rather than the hike itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I will say to your credit, so for people that aren't familiar, like it's bear spray, it's like pepper spray. It, you know, when it makes contact with your skin, it's not just the fumes, but it makes contact with your skin. It like burns. But to Stomp's credit, I will say like he, it happened very early on in the hike and we were both, you know, me and my, our friend Alvaro were like, are you Okay. And he played it off like it was like no big deal. <laughs> no he's problem. like, no problem. But I think but by the time we got to Gar- – so there's a section called Garfield Ridge where you climb, and he's just – you could tell he was just in misery. And he was like pouring water on his leg whenever he could. <laughs> and uh, I think he gave up on pretending that it wasn't like misery by the time we got to Zealand. Oh, yeah, because by that point, it was on my face. It was like, you know, you rub your eyes like, oh, shit, my left eye's blind now. I mean, it was – it was a tough day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I get I get questions about bears and um, wildlife all the time from people because they're like, "You go hike and you go hike by yourself, and like, you got to worry about like wildlife." And I will tell you, I have I've almost completed the four thousand footers, the fifty two with a view, the terrifying twenty five. I have yet to see a bear on trail. So I don't know. Have you have you ever seen a bear on trail? No, because that technique I use works so well. I mean, it's you, you douse yourself in it, and they will not come near you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but like, I mean, maybe it, yeah, you might get eaten. You know, you always, that's why I like hiking with Stomp because I think I'm a little bit faster than him. So he, he'll get chased down by the beer first. But um, the chances of you getting, even seeing a beer are slim to none. Yeah. But they are out there and they will bother you sometimes if you don't, you know, if you're camping and you're not responsible with your food. But um, I mean, I, I have seen a few bear on trail, but I'm absolutely not terrified by them anymore. Uh, they, they run. I've seen a couple run, you know, straight uphill, 30 miles an hour. Very impressive, but they're so timid. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't want to deal with us, so great. So the so that's the Pemi Loop. It's uh, me personally like doing it one day if you're like some super athlete, great. Go for it, do it, do a Pemi Loop. Probably go clockwise. That seems to be the way that most of these ultra runner people do it, but I prefer to look at it as like a two or three night overnight and it's it's a great trip. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. And we will do it again. <laughs> yes, yes, we will once your hip heals. So. Yeah. You want to go on to the next one here? Yes, sir. Yep, the bald face loop. This is a really, it's a somewhat of a remote loop, uh, not so much a traverse. It's a just one starting point. It's a nine-mile loop over north and south bald face, and this is a an area that is basically on the border of New Hampshire, Maine. It's, this is really interesting. I, I hiked this many, many times, like t- 20, 30 years ago, and I really love this one little spur about a mile up. It's called Emerald Pool, and it's very beautiful. The way the moss sits with light, it just looks like it's uh, lined with emeralds. And of course, there are some jumps that you can jump into the pool with and things like that. So that's my fond memory of this loop. And of course, the uh, above tree line is fantastic. But we went there this summer, and I couldn't believe how many people were there. We had to be about a hundred cars. I'm like, oh no, another secret spot gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, and I'm probably guilty of this because I always tell people that this is like the greatest hike ever. It is. It is. It's like probably a half hour from my in-laws' house, so I do go over to Evans Notch and and hit this area up quite a bit. Mm. But I'm actually afraid of the Emerald Pool because I got traumatized there. Oh yeah, what happened? Uh, oh, well, I, <laughs> the first time I hiked the Bald Face Loop, I went down there to get some water because I always like to start with like no water and if I know there's a water source I'll go down there and Mm -hmm. you know filter my water so I get down there and it was like mid mid midweek I think I might have been on vacation or something and the the kids stayed back at the camp and were swimming so I had the the day to myself but uh, I walked into Emerald Pool and there was two two people there and they weren't they weren't wearing they were enjoying nature there was no clothes that's funny you say that because I didn't mention it but the first two times I did the hike 
I ran into nude hikers. Really? It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was in my 20s at the time, and um, I'm, I'm coming up the trail towards North Baldface, um, about a quarter mile from the summit, and I see this nude hiker making his way down the trail. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> I immediately, I, I'm just a young kid. I was freaked out. I'm like, what if this dude's like some psycho or whatever? So I just, yeah, I yeah, dove yeah. off the trail, hid in the scrub and let this nude hiker pass. Okay. So that's the first one yeah. on this. This is the very same hike. So I get to the summit of North, make my way over to South Baldface. There's a nude hiker sitting on the top of South Baldface, just sitting there with his legs crossed, just enjoying the I weather. I get it. Okay. Isn't that wild? I don't it was know. weird, but the, I mean, this case, what I ran into was just, I mean, I think they were just swimming and hanging out and, you know, they had their tops off and I think I just sort of stumbled on to mm. them, but I, I just like kind of turned around at a 180 and said, I'll find water <laughs> later on, but I screwed myself because I, then I went up towards the, the shelter and I was like, I'll find water at the shelter, which is about a mile and a half up. There was no water. So I had to hike back down. Mm. And I finally found a water source that was like a muddy puddle that was like lukewarm that I filtered through. And I, that's what I drank for the whole, the whole loop, which, which kind of sucked. But hmm. anyway, naked people, if you want to see naked people, the bald face <laughs> loop is probably the good option for you. Yeah. But this loop is, it, it's, the, the trail is on the terrifying 25 because there's like a huge open uh, cliff that you have to hike up and it's pretty it's fine in the in the the dry and dry conditions but it does get a little sketchy in the winter we're going to talk about a rescue later on that happened there and you know for me this is the number one hike in the white mountains so um you know the views are amazing uh it's not as crowded and um you know it's just an amazing experience and you're above tree line like the whole time mm. yeah Agreed. Yep. And many naked people. Naked people. So, and one other thing I will say about the um, the bald face is that there, from a camping perspective, there is a, a shelter and there's a lot of like camping right by the shelter. So if you're a hammock uh, camper or you know you want to set up a tent, like there's a lot of options there. But it, as you get into the summer, there's not a lot of water options there. So you definitely want to load up on Emerald. Uh, you know, at Emerald Pool and make sure that you get all your water filtered and that you carry enough to do like a nine or 10 mile loop. But that's the bald face. So the next one, uh, Stomp, you want to cover the next one here? Yes. The Wildcat Carter Mariah Traverse, which is a 20 mile traverse. It covers the Wildcat Range, the Carter Range, and ends at the northern end if you're heading north uh, at Mount Mariah. I've done this straight through once, which was a bear. Yeah, yeah, and I think most people will will do this. I think starting at Wildcat and come out after Mariah, and um, you know, there's a lot of options. There's like three different ways I think to exit from Mariah, and the, the longest being staying on the Appalachian Trail and coming out Rattle River, which I think is a great great trail. Uh, it does add some extra miles, but it's it's a great huh. um, great area, great camping over there. Yeah. It's it's great, very challenging. Yeah, remember we tried to do this. <sighs> oh my goodness, disaster! <laughs> yeah, we decided to try this south to north uh, during a blizzard. <laughs> so we yeah, well, it wasn't blizzard, but it wasn't blizzard when we started. But <laughs> we got we got absolutely nailed with a blizzard in uh, December. Yeah, it was a nor'easter. So yes. which is which yes. is interesting because you're heading. But we were like, we can beat it. We can beat it. We're oh fast. my god! Yeah, I mean, we made it as far as um, just before just past Carter Dome, and then we decided to bail out and head down 19-mile Brook Trail. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we were all pretty much soaked because it was one of those blizzards where it was like heavy, wet rain, and we were all just soaked. Mm -hmm. And there was no way we were going to continue on without like having hypothermia and all dying. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. And I was, and I was working on my uh, ability to adjust layers. <laughs> that was a new concept for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Good time. And I think we ended up spending about an hour in the Carter Carter hot, yeah. so that didn't help. Losing either. even more body heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but no, this is definitely a. Uh, I would recommend this is not a one day hike. This is a you know multiple day or you know one or two two nights. You've got the the Carter hut there, and then you've got some camping at Imp Imp, Imp Shelter, I think it is. And mm -hmm. there's a couple of Appalachian Trail shelters along the way. Yeah. Now, how about uh, Kilkenny? You've done this traverse, haven't you? 
I have, yeah. So this is the fifth one. So Kilkenny Ridge is the far northern section of the 4,000-footer. So this connects Wombach to Mount Cabot. Mm -hmm. And then you actually come out on a 52 with a view peak, which is Rogers Ledge. Hmm. 28 miles? I think it's 29. We had to do a road walk at the end, so we went south to north. I think it's 27. It's like 20. Yeah, but I think we added like two extra miles because we had to walk out to the the gate. Gotcha. Because there's like a um a private private like beach there that you can pay to get into, but we started so early that the gate was closed, so we had to park outside of it. Mm-hmm. But this is you know Wombach and Star King are a great view. the The interesting thing about this hike is that you've got to go through the Weeks mountain range. So there's like three peaks that are called the Weeks. Which I think are, I think the Weeks is it's named after a, like a surveyor or something that that had worked up in the White Mountains years ago, but this place got absolutely wrecked by that bomb cyclone uh, storm a few years ago, mm. and it's like walking through ferns and blowdowns and it's just kind of crazy. And then you get into a section called Willard Notch, which has an absolutely amazing stealth uh, campsite that I'm not going to tell anybody where it's located, but it's it's, it's sort of a little bit off trail, but it's, it's an amazing campsite. So you can sort of camp right at the halfway point, mm-hmm. and then you wake up the next morning, you head out, you hike Cabot, the Bulge, the Horn, and out to Rogers Ledge. But mm. it's, an, it's an amazing, amazing hike. And I think it's technically part of the Cohos. So it's called the Kilkenny Ridge Trail, but it's also part of a longer through hike trail called the Cohos Trail, which starts in northern New Hampshire and runs down into the southern southern presidentials and people through hike that as well. Yeah, at the northern end, Unknown Pond has to be one of the prettiest little areas in the region. And there's a beautiful uh, campsite there too. It's just it's a beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah, oh it's it's gorgeous. And matter of fact, when you go past Unknown Pond and you continue north there's another pond area there and then camping right before Rogers Ledge, which is actually even more beautiful than Unknown Pond. So yeah. I love that area. Kilkenny Ridge is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, getting through the weeks is definitely a challenge, uh, but it's also like unique because it's all, it's like ferns up to your, like your, you know, I'm not a tall guy, but like ferns up to your shoulders in some sections and you're just kind of going through. <laughs> Um, tick, these beautiful tick, trails. Tick. Yeah, it's like tick crazy. And then also like there's so many blowdowns and trees that you got to hop over that you just sit there and you're thinking like, you know, am I going to hop over this tree and land on a bear or something? <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're going to run into. But um, I tried to have my friend Tom in front and my friend Jonathan in the back. So I'd be in the middle. So they would get it. Before me, but we <laughs> nice. all made it out safely. So now how about any spontaneous bonus hike? The bonus hike, so I was thinking about this. So we, we talked about the five main ones, uh, but a bonus hike for me would be a Moat Mountain Traverse. So the Moat Mountain Range is like right behind North Conway. So it's it's the, the mountains that are to the, I don't know, I have to look at a map, but like on the, you know, it runs parallel to Route 16 and North Conway. So I, I've hiked this this before i think it's like nine or ten miles it's you know not a huge amount of elevation but it's just you're above tree line for like probably six of those miles so i started on the um the south moat trail which is off of pass conway road um which you can get to from west side road near north conway and just go across the uh the ridge and then you would climb to middle moat and then to north moat and there's just it's like miles of ridges where you can just sit down and have lunch get amazing views out to western maine and then you also look down out into the sandwich range so mm. it's it's just an amazing amazing area and then you can come out and you, you when you go the direction I'm I'm recommending which is south to north you come out by Diana's bath so you're just you're like Mr. Hiker expert, and then you come out to Diana's Bath, where there's all the tourists, and you're like, "I'm the I'm the expert hiker, they, and you guys are all just like sunbathing." At, at are they Bath. taking pictures of you? Like, oh look, a hiker! It's, yeah, they're like those hikers. You know, be, you know they're, they're having a meltdown after walking a half a mile on like the the groomed trails, and but I I did see one one guy was like, "Where the hell are you going?" And I was like, "I'm coming back from a hike." Isn't that hilarious? And. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but what about you? So, we you got to do one one bonus. Uh, hike yeah, I, I want people to know that there's a really gnarly forty nine mile route. It's called the Hut to Hut, and basically the idea is that you have to hit 
each of the eight Appalachian Mountain Club huts, which start, you know, let's let's take it east to west. You're starting at Carter Notch Hut, uh, which is in that traverse that we just talked about. And you're ending way the hell over on Lonesome Lake, which is in Franconia Notch. And there's a 24-hour limit. You have to start at midnight. Generally, people start at uh, the Carter Notch Hut. And that's the deal. So you, ha- what, what is that rule like? Well, who decided you have to start at midnight? It, this is more of a, a a cult following. I don't know. There's there's like no website about it or anything. There's a fastest known time. It's site. on the fastest known time there website. Is. Like there's a bunch of different versions of it or whatever. Sure. I think this was like a hobby that the AMC crew members started. It's possible back in like the seventies or something. Yeah, but you know, in, you know, when I was preparing to do it myself, I, I tried it and I failed. Um, that was the word around town. It was like, you have a limit, 24, and you got to start at midnight, and you got to... It, it's it's really wild, man. It's a really good time. I think you failed it miserably, right? Yeah. Well, what happened with me, it's like, <laughs> this is interesting. When you start on Route 16, you have to hike up yeah. four miles to get to the hut, and those four miles don't count. So on the way up, I, I very subtly tweaked my right ankle. And I got to the hut, ended up, you know, just waiting until midnight. At midnight, boom, I hit it hard, and I'm, I'm going down uh, 19-mile brook. I, I tweak it again. Phew. Sunrise, I'm, I'm past Madison Hut, and all of a sudden, it, it just locks up on me. 10 out of 10 pain. I couldn't put any weight on it. So what ended up being a slight sprain ended up being something much more significant. I think it was like a, a tear of one of the lateral ligaments of my ankle. So long story short, I completed 19.8 miles total. Okay, that, that's that's respectable. Dude, this is insane. So from Madison Hut all the way over to Mount Eisenhower, I, I limped with, I found, I didn't use poles or anything like that, so I just found a stick. I, I limped all the way over there, and I made it down Edmonds Path. Yeah, yeah, I, I hiked that this winter. Okay, so I got down to Mount Clinton Road, and there were just some good Samaritans that saw me suffering, and they um, they picked me up and got me back to the highway. And from there, I um, had a call Notch Taxi, which, by the way, Notch Taxi out of, um, I believe it's Littleton. You got to look this up. If you're in a pinch, this guy's- Free, free plug. This guy's fantastic, yeah. He'll come, and uh, you can actually reserve uh, car spots for whatever trip you're doing. Uh, good stuff. So, yeah, that's yeah, my. F- yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that 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 company. Oh yeah, yeah. He has like uh, two or three cars now that he uses, but uh, great guy. So that's that's my failed hut to hut story, and I have no yeah, ambition yeah. to try it again. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any interest. And again, like I, uh, these fastest known time routes are they're great, and it's like a niche thing. And as a matter of fact, there was a guy that um, set the fastest known time for the hut to hut this winter. I saw it was like thirteen hours that. or something. Something crazy. Yeah, so it seems like a good good story. I think he's uh, seems like a good guy. That's amazing. You know, real, yeah, yeah. I was real humble about it. Mm. All right, stop. So that is um, a list of five plus two bonus hikes that we are talking about here that we consider to be sort of epic hikes. So along with the list that we've already talked about, these seven hikes are sort of bucket list hikes that you want to think about doing in the whites, um, especially if you're going to start getting into overnights. But uh, hopefully that, that gave people a good preview of some some cool place, uh, some cool things to do and some some goals to, to set for themselves. So Stomp, we got a lot of incidents to cover this week. Uh, it was not a good week to be out in the wilderness, unfortunately. <laughs> it was like four rescues that happened in like the last week and a half or so. So people are getting in trouble. Yeah, pretty serious ones too. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't know, like I, I was looking at uh, statistics, so I keep statistics on um, search and rescue that are that are published in the news. And we had, and think of 2019, there was five published rescues um, in the first quarter, which is January, February, March of 2019. And then there was like 10 in 2020. And I haven't tallied up the numbers, but I got to think we're north of 20 at this point. So this didn't help with the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The first one that we want to touch upon is over at uh, Baldface. There was a rescue on the Baldface range that we were just talking about on March 23rd at about 9 p.m. There was a call for a hiker, age 68, from Maine, I guess a Maine resident, when the call came in, it was reported that he was off the Bald Face Circle Trail somewhere between 
the summit of South Ball Face and the shelter. Now, you're, you're familiar with where the shelter is. Yeah, yeah. I think it sounded to me like he was he had ascended and he was coming back down, which is something that you don't want to do in the winter on the bald face. But um, typically, people will just go up. And you, you leave the shelter and then you immediately go up a couple of ledges that are sort of straight open ledges. I'm guessing that there was, they were snow covered and there was kick steps in there and that you're able to ascend it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. The problem with those ledges is that you do dip in and out of tree line. So, uh, and you do tend to have to go way over to the left. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of people may miss that if they're not, you know, working on a trail that's been broken out already and, I don't know. I don't know what happened with this guy. He just he was coming down the ledges, which is insanity. Yeah, took a long slide, a couple hundred feet. Ended up. I mean, apparently he was post holing in three to four foot deep snow. <laughs> uh, thankfully, he did okay. The rescuers responded at about eleven p.m. They hiked in two point eight miles, and they got to the the injured party at one thirty in the morning. They all arrived safely back out at about 3.46 in the morning. That's a long night, I can tell you that. But uh, thankfully, he was in good spirits, and um, they they were able to locate him using whistle, GPS, and just yelling out for the person's name, which is, those are common strategies that we use if somebody's missing. Yeah. Did he, was he able to, did he call for rescue for, for himself, or, or did, did the family have to call because he was just missing? Yeah, somehow he got a call out. Yeah, I'm surprised that he got cell connection out there, but um, lucky for him, although that's a long night regardless. But it sounds like he had a sleeping bag and was at least able to stay a little warm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they used uh, hand warmers, foot warmers to warm him up when they arrived. Got him nice and comfortable for the long way out. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad once you get down past those ledges and you get to the shelter section like it's an easy i mean it's not never an easy hike when you're carrying somebody but it's not a bad hike Mm -hmm. and i would say like if you're ever in this position if you're listening to this episode and you're on the bald faces and you panic going up the ledges uh keep going up because there's a relatively easy bailout where you can you get to the the sub peak of um south bald face and then you can cut over to Eastman Ledge and then come down. I forget the name of that trail that that's easy to easy to come back. So there's basically a bypass trail that you can you can bypass the ledges. So I don't know why this guy didn't do that, but mm-hmm. it's probably not probably wasn't broken out, so he probably figured he could just go down it. But don't go down South Bald Face in the winter. Not a good call. Mm. Yeah, even in the summer, it's pretty wild. And what what happens when you're in for those rescues that are in like the Evans Notch area? Who is it? The Imanusik? Um, Avsar. Avsar that, that takes those? Androscoggin Valley. Oh, yeah. Or MRS. Right. And, of course, fishing game officers from that district, which is District 2. Okay. All right. Um, and then the next one here that we have. So 68-year-old gentleman, he had a fall. He's out and, and safe. Yeah. The next one was on the Wildcat Ridge, which we just talked about as well. Mm. So uh, you want to give an overview on that one, Stop. Yeah, this occurred on the southernmost portion of the Wildcat Ridge. At 4.30 p.m., a call came in for an injured hiker. A uh, 25-year-old was descending the Wildcat Ridge Trail, which if anybody's familiar with this trail, there are portions above, uh, I think about 2,500 feet to 3,000 feet or so that just all of a sudden, boom, go really vertical. And uh, there are some really challenging sections. Apparently, this person was a, about a mile away from the road or the trailhead, which is Glen Ellis Falls, um, which is very close to Pinkham Notch. When she injured her, her leg, she was unable to bear any weight and... With assistance from her family, I guess she was able to slowly slide down before rescuers arrived, which saved some time. Rescuers did package her in a sked, which we've talked about before. That's a plastic version of a litter where you can just fold somebody up into like a taco covering and you slide them down safely. Um, it's, it's fantastic. She was below the harder sections of this trail, which can become incredibly steep and dangerous at this time of the year. Plenty of ice up there still. So she made it off safe and sound and made it back to the hospital. So Yeah, I'm sure the family was thrilled to have to deal with that. So 
<laughs> Absolutely. Now, this next one, I have a little bit of deja vu because we have another group of lost hikers on, can you guess? Mount Chikora, the old, uh, so we had, we had <laughs> talked about this. This is like another group of Boston-based students that decided they were going to come up and hike Mount Chikora and got in trouble, needed a, needed a rescue. Mm. To their credit, they had micro spikes, but they had no lights, so they had to get escorted out. No teams were involved. We've talked about this in the past, the different kinds of rescues. Um, there were no volunteers on this one. So, yeah, just don't forget those headlamps, people. Yeah, it's amazing how the sun disappears every, every, uh, every day at a certain time. It just disappears on you. <laughs> it really is amazing. And then our, our last rescue... Uh, or another escort, actually, uh, is an individual that attempted to hike the Flume Slide Trail and encountered high water, deep snow, ended up calling Fish and Game for assistance. His boots were absolutely soaked. So Fish and Game officers walked about two, two and a half miles up to the individual, provided new boots, and were able to get him safely back down to the trailhead. Thankfully, he was not... Um, higher up above where the ledges are really steep and treacherous, especially this time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I've, I've so uh, me and Stomp have hiked this area a couple of times and I actually, <laughs> I fell into um, a, a water crossing right in that same area. So I can, I can personally testify that it's, it's a little sketchy in that area, particularly when it's like a big melt, like we're seeing right now in the spring. Yeah. No, not a good place to be. No, no. And this actually reminded me. So this is um, in episode, I, th I think it was episode four, we talked about the importance of um, using the weather forecasts for your, your hiking plans. There's one other item that every hiker should utilize, especially when you've got high water situations or like big melting periods like the spring. There is a, uh, it's called waterdata.usgs.gov. And I'll link this in the show notes. But you can look up the um, the the water discharge on the Pemigewasset River, um, and I, I'm assuming you can probably do it in other areas as well within the Whites. But uh, typically, uh, what you want to look for is I think that anything over like 600 or 700 cubic feet per second of discharge is where it starts getting into the potential danger zone on river crossing. So you can go on this site to get like up to date readings, so you can get a pretty good sense on how. Uh, how much water is flowing through the the different meters on the on the PEMI, and that will tell you whether or not you're going to be dealing with risky water crossings. Obviously, you won't know every time um, every, for every crossing, but it gives you a pretty good indicator to to expect that you might run into some challenges. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's a great resource, Mike. So so four rescues uh, spread out all over the place. You you weren't involved in any of these these rescues, were you, Stomp? No, a lot of those are out of our district, and um, the ones that were closer for us were just escorts. So no volunteer action for a little while. It's almost like the universe is spreading out the search and rescues of New Hampshire equally across the different volunteer organizations. It <laughs> could be. I mean, this weekend, uh, knock on wood, I, nothing's happened yet, but I had the vibe because there's no snow here in Thornton. Um, just the other day, I went up for a follow-up for my hip, and um, the snow kicked in at um, Lafayette Campground. That's it. There's no snow on the ground until you get to the notch. It's so really? freaky. So people are going to assume, like, oh, it's it'll be fine in the mountains, oh, but it's yeah. still, still kicking up there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, even on that flume slide rescue, apparently the monorail was still alive and well. Uh, monorail is when the the snowpack on the trail just gradually melts over time and leaves this this nice long column it's it's a monorail and you can either you know walk to the left of it or right of it but it's right smack in the center of the trails so monorails alive and well post holing is out there got to be careful don't be fooled by the roads yeah, I think the good news is is that with this it feels like an earlier melt so I'm hoping that will be pretty well cleared out of any issues by, um, you know, early to mid-May, but who knows, you know, we'll keep people up to date mm -hmm. on it. So, so four rescues in the whites. Uh, we got a couple of other um, news stories to cover here around search and rescue. So the, this first one here is 
there was an incident in Acadia National Park this week, which unfortunately was resulted in two fatalities. So it was a couple that was up there, um, not hikers. Based on the news reports, I think some of the family members were quoted to say that they weren't really outdoors people, that they weren't into, into hiking at all, but they were out, up in Acadia vacationing stayed at a hotel in the area, and I guess they decided to take some kind of a nature walk. They hiked on a trail that was apparently icy and a little bit sketchy and did not return to the hotel. And then um, I guess Friday, somehow they figured out that they got to start looking for them. Maybe they found their vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then um, a rescue team or authorities were able to locate um, both of their bodies at the bottom of a 100-foot section of trail. And uh, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, they both were... Um, you know, fatalities. So I, my guess is from reading it, it sounded like they didn't have any traction. So it sounds like you it. always want to make sure that you have. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty rugged area for sure. Very rocky. Yeah. I mean, I, I was there 20 years ago. I, it's, it's an area I want to get back to, but my understanding, like I, I know a few people that go there a lot. And my understanding is that even though like the elevation's not that crazy, it's like straight up, like you said, it's cliffs. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, um, a few points here. Harry micro spikes. Yeah, for sure. A few points about the search and rescue side of it. The search overnight involved the U.S. Coast Guard uh, from Cape Cod. They utilized thermal imaging, which would identify a heat signature of a body if they were alive. Ground searches began on Saturday morning in the areas of high probability. Uh, 15 volunteers, apparently, from what I'm reading. Wow. Yeah, quite an effort. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's a beautiful area, but it, it, it can be dangerous. I just have not traveled enough to Maine, but uh, I would love to explore. I've not been to Katahdin. Have you done Katahdin? I have, yeah. We'll do another episode on, on Katahdin. Oh, sure. But, uh, all right, so then me and you have to do road trips to Acadia, <laughs> and then I got to take you up to Katahdin. Yes, <laughs> and and then we can cool off and do some naked skinny dipping at no, Emerald no, Pool. No, 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 no. You can do naked. I'll be... I'll be in the car. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Um, all right. Well, there's, there's, there was two other incidents that are not hiking related, but search and rescue related. So I figured Stomp, we would run through them to get mm. your perspective on on them. So it's two missing people that uh, one was in Lincoln and the other is in Ossipee. So uh, do you want to break down the, the first one here? On March 8th, Lincoln PD uh, sent out a report that this young woman was uh, was missing, a uh, 33-year-old woman local to the area. Apparently, the updated report is that they discovered her body ultimately in the east branch of the Pemigewasa River on or around the 17th of March. I believe it was the 16th. So fishing game crews had to come out and recover the body. There's no real detail beyond that at this time. Uh, it's just a, a strange and very unfortunate incident. I've seen her personally myself here living in Thornton, and um, many of the, the workers in the local uh, businesses were pretty shocked that uh, this had happened. Yeah, it's a s- small community up there, I would think. But, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's an example of, like, this would be something that, you know, the volunteer groups would come out and help with if needed that's not hiking-related. So there's a whole world of incidents that you guys would deal with that don't have anything to do with hiking oh yeah exactly well again fishing game they their jurisdiction it's the the waterways and the woodlands so some of the scenarios are not uh, directly related to hiking or anything like that but they're in the wilderness so they're the ones that uh, respond and have the duty to do the work i uh i can't even imagine um having to do that uh, body recovery in the waterways, I mean that's that's brutal. Yeah, um, this is depressing. But uh, let's just get through this last one here. But there was another yeah. one that um, you know another missing person in Ossipee, New Hampshire, um, lady from Lowell, Massachusetts, that uh, was up there hiking. She brought a German Shepherd dog, I believe, and yeah, um, was missing for like a week or so. And they, they you know they found her. Vehicle. It was a long time. Yeah, yeah it was a while. No, it was, a, it was like a week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. They they found the vehicle. Not a hundred percent sure if they found the dog or not. There's some conflicting reports about that. Um, ultimately, they did discover her body uh, during a search. Again, fishing game. Um, of the lake in Ossipee, and um, they they found her remains, but it's still under investigation at this point. 
I mean, my guess would be that, you know, if she was hiking around the lake with the dog, the dog runs out in the ice, maybe she follows it, who knows, but um, we'll keep an eye on news reports to see if anything comes out, but it's just a tough time of the year, and this is depressing as hell, so uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's sad to, to talk about these, but it, it's, <laughs> you know, we want people to think about the activities that you do outside and, and do them in a safe way. So you have to know that sometimes these, you know, these things can happen, but yeah. we just here to report the news, I guess. <laughs> and the news is always a bummer. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. So. so, but that's, uh, that's pretty much the show. Mike, do you have any other areas that you want to cover or are we good for a wrap? Uh, you know, I don't want to end on this depressing topic. So I actually get one other <laughs> thing that we can, I was going to wait to do this, but I think we can do this now. And actually it'll be a bonus because we can use one of our new drops from your boy, Paul here. So I'm going to pause for oh, a second yeah. to let you do the drop. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? So the topic here is, you know, we're going to do a little White Mountain history. So there's been a lot of talk about like, you know, the origin of the names of mountains. I took like an hour or so to do a little bit of research. So for the 4,000 footers, I looked up the origins of the names of the 4,000 footers. So I figured you might be interested in this. So there's some cool stuff in here. So there are, so there's 48 4,000 footers. These are all named, like, I think, you know, I don't really, I'm not an expert on the White Mountains mm-hmm. and the, the whole history, but I, I want to start reading up on it a little bit more. But, I mean, a lot of these peaks are named for historical figures. So there's 29 of the 48 4,000-footers that are named for historical figures. Oh, yeah, like Carrigane. I know where you're going with this. There are some really cool people out there, the early trailblazers and topographers and, oh, yeah. This is cool. Yeah, exactly. So, the, and there's some weird ones too. Like, so there's nine that are named after former presidents. So, whether, which is obviously the presidential range. There's a couple that are like founding fathers. So, like the Hancocks, named after John Hancock. Mm-hmm. And then there is a, a Harvard professor. Lafayette is named after a French general. Mount Field is named after Darby Field, which I think. He's the guy that was the first one to hike Mount Washington, which I forgot about. And I got to give a shout out to my friend Bill for reminding me of that one. Hmm. And then there's one that is named after an Italian explorer, which is Mount Cabot, Hmm. believe it or not. Hmm. So it's it's pretty interesting. So if you are a history buff or a history nerd and you want to start doing some research, there is a lot of cool history here behind the names. And there's there's also... uh, Bond Cliff in Bond, the Bond Mountain Range was named after a Harvard professor. So I think a lot of the early um, mountaineering folks were from like Harvard and, and the university system in, in Massachusetts. They'd come up here for the summer to. Yeah. A lot of Native American names as well, which uh, could take up a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, let me see how many Native Americans. So there's six mountains that are named. After Native American, either names or um, tribal leaders, and um, you know, there's a ton of trails as well that have Native American origins, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And then there are two mountains that are named after animals, which is uh, oh, two peaks actually, and they're both both wildcat, which mm-hmm. uh, is interesting. But the other weird thing about the historical figures is the Carter Mountain Range. Is, there's a dispute here. So there was apparently like a doctor that they that it may be named after. But then there's also like some people that say there was like a hunter. There was a, a hunter named Carter, and then he had a friend named Height. So they oh interesting yeah. So they supposedly they hiked together, and one of them went up Mount Height, and the other went up Mount Carter, and that's how they got the names. So, but then I read somewhere that it was like some doctor in the area. So I don't really know. Hmm. Well, Height has the better view. <laughs> no, it definitely does. It definitely does. But that whole range there. So you've got Wildcat, which is named after an animal. The Carter Range, and then apparently Mariah, which is a historical mountain range in the Bible, that's named after the dog of the hunter or the doctor, whoever it is that's Carter. So that's how that whole mountain range got got its name. Hmm. 
pretty cool. Yeah, right? oh, it's a, that's great. I, it would be really cool to get somebody skilled or trained and certified in all this information. We should talk to Steve or somebody. Are you saying that I'm not <laughs> providing enough information here? <laughs> No, I just think that you're just scratching the surface in a great way, but it yeah, seems yeah. like it's anyway, a deep so, well. It is, it is. So my, uh, <laughs> so I was talking to some friends online about it. So my understanding is, is that there's a book, and I'll I'll try to link the name of the book. It's the four thousand foot of book. So there's a the White Mountain Guide, and then there's a dedicated book that is the four thousand footer list, and apparently they have the name origin. Uh, for each peak in there. So if you want to do a deep dive, I'll, I'll try to find that book. I want to buy it and learn a little bit. So Yeah, history is uh, always great. Th- yeah, yeah. So this, I just figured this would be a less depressing way to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, it worked. All right, folks. So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the hikes we talked about today or the search and rescue events we covered, we will add show notes to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue Call show pages, which can be found on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to you joining us next week as we continue our intro to New Hampshire's hiking series with a discussion of the best beginner hikes in the White Mountains. Until next time, I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.